Hello, and welcome back to Movie Remake Time, a Filmmaker's Compass podcast, where we're going to look at sequels, reboots, and remakes and ask the simple question, who did it better? I'm CP. This is my amazing co-host, D-Man. D-Man, how have you been? Actually, pretty good. I love the outfit you had on in preparation for the movie. You're I rocking. figured it was appropriate. Yeah, you're rocking the appropriate digs. So I may have to step up my game, see what I have in my closet, in my wardrobe, <laughs> if I can uh, join the show, you know? If you want to go ahead and uh, introduce the movie, it's one that I know you personally are very excited about. I had seen both of these movies prior, but it had been a while. So upon re rewatch, I was very excited to get to talk about it. Fantastic. We just had G.I. Joe Origins Snake Eyes released in the movie theaters. So D-Man and I thought this was the perfect opportunity to look at the other two G.I. Joe films, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra from 2009 and G.I. Joe Retaliation from 2013, both of which G.I. Joe movies and kind of a soft reboot, which we get another reboot in G.I. Joe Snake Eyes. So there's gonna be a ton for us to talk about today. We hope that all you G.I. Joe fans are gonna join in the conversation and let us know your thoughts. Well, you know, what's interesting when looking at those two films straight up is, like you said, it is a direct sequel, but also kind of a soft reboot. You can tell that the producers wanted to place some of the characters from the first one, whether that was contractual, you know, whatever happened. So even though it is a sequel, some of the characters pick up in the same places. It is kind of a soft reboot. What do you think G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra brought to the table initially? Do you think it lived up to the kind of cultural aspirations of the toy line, the cartoon from like the 80s and the 90s? That's a big question. First of all, shout out to Steven Summers, who directed the Mummy franchise and came on board to be the original director of the G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. I think G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra really had an identity crisis to begin with. And I know we'll get into this later. Hasbro wanted to make this film almost a decade earlier with the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq. They didn't want to make a war glorifying film. So they shifted focus into Transformers and kind of came back to G.I. Joe. It was already on this rocky footing to begin with. I think that the original storyline tried to introduce these characters. I think that the big failure was really kind of two things. One, this is a film setting up a universe. And the problem is the two sequels don't exactly take place in the same universe in the same way. So right. they lay out a ton of information as opposed to just focusing on what would be a really cool movie where you have G.I. Joe's Cobra Commander take over the world and save the world and all, do all this cool action stuff. Two, I think there was the other problem of, again, the decision not to be perceived as a film glorifying war. Rise sure. of Cobra focuses on weird like chase scenes and shark submarine sequences. And it doesn't <laughs> yeah. feel like a true G.I. Joe movie, which a lot of fans at the time were really bummed because they said, first of all, you don't give us G.I. Joe, but on top of it, you have changed origin stories of characters and backstories in a way that's not consistent with all the canon. Now, and that's what I was kind of getting at is if you go back, so the original toy line of G.I. Joe is from, I don't know what, the 50s, 60s? I think the 60s. And it's the uh, kind of like doll looking G.I. Joes. They're pretty big. They're not the action figures necessarily that everyone yeah. has come to love. Although ironically, that original line gave rise to the popular phrase action figure. Yeah. What's interesting is it was the 1980s line, Real American Hero, where they yes. introduced like the 3.75 action figures, kind of similar to Star Wars action figures. 
And those were the ones that really embodied the characters that we came to see in Rise of Cobra. Mm-hmm. So those are the lines that have been celebrated with 25th anniversaries and yeah. all of that type stuff. And then that's also the line that an American hero cartoon was based off of. Yeah. That has, you know, the famous theme song and all of that. Yes. Uh, Joe, you know, <laughs> yes, real dude. American hero. It's interesting because you can see the parallels here between Rise of Cobra and that product line. And culturally speaking, I think it does still resonate with the public because we grew up with those characters, right? We were probably mm-hmm. adults coming of age. And like you said, the identity crisis of the film is that it's not addressing that direct canon and creating a movie for the people who grew up with the line. It felt a little bit like they were reintroducing G.I. Joe, hopefully to another, how do I say it, action figure buying age group is what... That's what they were trying to do. They weren't trying to make a movie for the people who grew up with and loved G.I. Joe as the action figures, as the animated show and in the comics. And like you said, there's a there's a large canon. Some of these characters are really beloved. Snake Eyes, Mm -hmm. um, Storm Shadow, Duke. Yeah, Duke. Very popular. I mean, there's even been video games and things like that. So this this is like kind of a big, expansive world. And there was some palpable excitement for a G.I. Joe film at the time, because we're talking in the same time. Time frame as movies like Iron Man, where they had introduced some comic book characters that maybe weren't of the highest profile at the time to great success. Yeah. So people thought it was possible that G.I. Joe could actually step in here and kind of be like a not a superhero movie because the Joes don't have any like quote unquote superpowers, although they're skilled in different areas of combat and tech and all this different stuff. I think they were hoping that they were going to get kind of like an Iron Man film that would really introduce a strong stable of characters in the first movie and then kind of expand that universe outward as they went on. But I think, like you said, the problem was they tried to cram way too much into one two-hour film, and it feels that way. Yeah. You can tell they're, the characters aren't getting proper introductions. They're just doing like a little flashback to be like, oh, that's where you came from. Even some of the creation of like, you know, Cobra Commander and Destro and all that at the end of the film they feel a little just kind of like rushed in because they were like, you know, hey, we wanted to show you guys how these characters came about. Like you said, if you do it right, you can just start with them already mysterious and they- I'm going to actually pull the you card on this one and and say, let's look at Star Wars, right? Star Wars (laughs) has the perfect model here. We introduced the character of Darth Vader and he's shrouded in mystery. But the fact is he walks on screen. He's an imposing force. He's a total badass. You could have done the same thing with Cobra Commander or Destro, right? They are characters already created to fill that mold of tons of mystery. They have an imposing presence. They have these things that set them apart. And why did we need to dive into their history? Just put it on screen. Let us see who this Cobra Commander badass dude is. We can spend the rest of a trilogy figuring out who they are and unpacking those characters. I'll actually, I'll join you on a comparison right here, but I'm going to go with another 80s toy line, and that's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. In the first movie, Shredder comes on screen, and he is imposing. He's very scary. You know, he is that character already, 
fully in the flesh. We don't need kind of an origin story, although there is a past that's alluded to in the film that kind of allows us to understand what the relationships are between the characters. But the Shredder is fully formed in there and scary and intimidating. You know, when he walks down and they have that long shadow shot, I was like, oh my God, this guy's really, Mm -hmm. you know, you could tell a little bit they're, they're playing off, you know, that kind of, I guess, Darth Vader imagery, right? He's got the helmet and the cape. At the same time, as a toy line, we're already familiar they're making the movie for the people who liked the toys. And again, the comics in that case came first, but there's a group of people and that movie, if you actually watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is kind of like adult. It's not necessarily the kiddiest film, especially considering the different variations we've seen of the turtles. No, you're absolutely right. With GI Joe, I felt like they went a little bit, not kiddie. It's not a kiddie film, but I mean, I guess I just use the word safe instead of trying to actually craft out this world and, all of this stuff, they just, I feel like they played it a little safe there. I, I would agree. I think the better example of what Hasbro should have tried to do was what they did with Transformers. Hey, if you're an original Transformers fan, you'll enjoy these movies. There's these characters that you love. There's opportunities to introduce them to new kids. I would not consider the original couple Transformers movies as necessarily for kids or for adults. It's kind of a good hybrid where you can have a multi-generational audience in the movie watching it. And that's something that The Rise of Cobra really failed at. And again, culturally, G.I. Joe was still relevant. So we're not even talking about having to dig up an old property that people aren't familiar with today, that only like a bunch of old cinephiles or action figure collectors would know. You're like, no, Mm -hmm. G.I. Joe is still on Toys R Us shelves at that time, (laughs) R.I.P. And it's still around. So it's, it's strange to me that they went that route. But okay, that's Rise of Code. But let's take a look now at retaliation culturally. So it's kind of drawing on a larger mythos canon from the comics to, like you said, soft reboot the characters. They're bringing in The Rock. And we've already had this conversation with Fast and the Furious. Culturally speaking, do you think The Rock elevates the profile of retaliation, kind of gives it a little bit more legitimacy as maybe an action film? Or do you think The Rock kind of fell victim to the G.I. Joe way of doing things? That's a good question. And first of all, actually, I want to share a story. Uh, So the director of this film, John Chu, I actually met him when I was a high school student. Oh, I wow. went to an event about going to USC film school and I actually had this awesome two hour conversation with him right when he graduated. And he was talking about how he had just met Steven Spielberg and his big hopes to be a director. So when I went to see oh. this movie in the theater, it was very cool being like, oh, I met that guy. Like he's really cool and he's finally doing it. So aside. That is awesome. I think that the smartest thing they did in the G.I. Joe franchise was actually bring the rock in as a character. For one, when you watch the Rise of Cobra, in many ways, is lacking leadership from the side okay. of the Joes. Yeah. No offense to Marlon Wayans and um, Dennis Quaid and Chatting Tatum. It just it doesn't feel like there's a guy that everybody's looking to as who's the you know who's the Leonardo of the team, who's the guy that's going to call the shots. Yeah. And so bringing in The Rock, you have that guy with the instant, the credibility, right? He seems like an action star. He seems like a hero. And that's something that I think the the G.I. Joe core of characters definitively needed. Sure. So I think it was really smart. The second thing that I actually think was, was brilliant in many ways was the decision 
to actually kill off Chatting Tatum as Duke. Okay. This is a dude who, when they were in the middle of promoting G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, came out publicly saying he didn't want to be involved in the movie because he didn't want to do something which glorified war and combat. And I'm like, okay, well, then dude, why did he even sign why up? Why did you it? sign up to be Duke, you know, this American hero, this soldier yeah, extraordinary, that's... if you weren't into it? And, and later he said he actually wanted to be written out of the franchise because he didn't want to be shackled to it. So I think from a casting perspective, I'm like, this is a dude who is not all in. Whereas repeatedly, and I mean, obviously actors change, but The Rock has brought up many times that he would be willing to come back for future G.I. Joe movies. In fact, and may maybe Bruce Willis will. has said the same thing. I think that from the perspective of the producers, it was important to bring in someone who seemed a little more excited and invested about the franchise, but also brought that presence to the yeah, characters. that's what I, I was going to say. I feel like with the addition of The Rock, that's exactly what you got was a little bit more presence, not necessarily star power. You got the big bulky guy, somebody who can step in and be like, you know, let's face it, I'm The Rock. Yeah. That was lacking in the first one because the way Duke and Ripcord are presented is they're still like going they're tag training. Yeah, yeah, they're like tag along. They're not even quote unquote like G.I. Joe's yet. They're borderline getting shoehorned in because Duke basically yep. forced their hand. So it's not, it's not, you know, from a story standpoint, they're not necessarily the leaders of the Joes or mm -hmm. even in good standing, really. Yeah. It is kind of lacking that. And then it's weird because they they almost in order to make the death of Duke impactful. I feel like they shoehorn that in where at the beginning of retaliation, they kind of keep hinting at like, he's such a good soldier and a good friend and all this stuff. I was like, well, you never really showed it on the screen. So <laughs> it's, it's unearned, right? Totally unearned. Yeah. I guess they had to get rid of him. I don't know. I would rather, the thing about GI Joe though, is I, I wouldn't even mind if they just added another character named Duke and just <laughs> said like, this guy took up the moniker and we're just going to go with like the original character's origin story. I mean, right. And even in, within like G.I. Joe canon, right? They did that with Snake Eyes. It's been done before. You know, you could have done the same thing and I don't think audiences would have cared. It may have solved them the problem of having to constantly sort of reboot this, this property. I guess, you know, from a cultural standpoint, we do tire of reboots. You know, mm -hmm. I think the perfect example was like Spider-Man, yeah. where they kept redoing this kind of origin story. Everybody was kind of like, hey, listen, we have seen this origin story like three or four times now. If you go back to some of the comic and mm -hmm. cartoons from the 90s, then you have even Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire kind of re-addresses exactly. the Uncle Ben thing. And then they do it again. You can see the public kind of tire of that. And I think that's why when Marvel introduced Spider-Man into the MCU, they just said, we're not doing any of that. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's his origin story is slightly different, although not really. It's just not explored on screen. But they're like, hey, let's let's just move past that. And Spider-Man's here and he's awesome. Yeah. As we look at Rise of Cobra versus Retaliation and kind of this, can we get like a like a pure G.I. Joe movie? Because right, Snake Eyes is another origin story. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, you have Batman Begins, which was actually a fantastic origin film. Yeah. And then you shift and you actually see the Dark Knight and it's Batman and it's, it's like Batman Prime. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's the movie everyone wants. And that's probably where the best stories actually are. Get the origin stuff out of the way. Yeah, Get to the agree. real story. I would love to see something. They're really exploring some of the depth and courage and moral dilemmas of war that some of these characters have to face. The way the franchise is right now, it's like Rise of Cobra, Origin, Retaliation, Soft Reboot, Snake Eyes, Reboot, and Origin. I'm like, let's, can we just get to the G.I. Joe's? Like, let's it, go. Can we get to Prime? 
Absolutely. Otherwise, you know, culturally speaking, I don't know that any of the actors per se, these are the G.I. Joe roles are defining roles in their careers, the same way that Christian Bale can't go anywhere without, you know, everyone knowing he's Batman. Mm -hmm. I I don't know that there was, you know, a whole lot that that stood out from either film that I was like, hey, this this is like a cultural touchstone moment, like a perfect example. I don't even know if you've seen the movie in its entirety, but I know I've showed you the scene is like, even if you didn't care very much for Star Wars Rogue One, that Darth Vader scene was like a cultural touchstone moment. Mm -hmm. Like everyone Mm -hmm. was like, hey, you got to go see yeah Darth Vader yeah go do it just do yourself the favor sit through the rest of the movie which is actually pretty good so you're not going to hate yourself when you get to go see that scene in the theater they're like it's amazing I don't think these movies got to any of that level where we were you know you and I would have water cooler moment where I'm like dude you gotta go check this out yeah because even comparatively again you look at like the Mission Impossible films and the stunts that Tom Cruise is doing he's doing that intentionally for a reason because it gives each film this kind of real big thing to promote about it and then when you go see it and it delivers they're quite impressive oh yeah culturally uh, yeah i think the gi joe films they didn't necessarily stick around i'm assuming that's why they're rebooting it to stank eyes now hopefully it's it's something that won't be rebooted again i hope whatever they're going to do next they just bite the bullet if snake eyes doesn't do well don't reboot it just it seems forward. like from what I saw an audience, if you saw Snake Eye, you know, chime in. It seems like they are laying the foundations for this greater G.I. Joe universe, essentially the terrorist organization that's Cobra and the Joes who are stopping them. Hopefully we are on track now for a coherent, consistent set of Joe films. Well, I, I haven't seen Snake Eyes, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I think we got to talk about effects. When I look at Rise of Cobra versus retaliation, that's one of the big differences I notice. Aside from the people on the screen, it's really what's happening. What are the the sequences they're involved with? We understand that Rise of Cobra was in 2009, but by the time 2009 had had come around, we had had some pretty amazing visual effects. Iron Man, this is almost the same, you know, this is like a year before the Avenger films. Oh yeah. We're watching Rise of Cobra, and I even remember in the theaters being kind of disappointed in yeah. the, the quality of the visual effects. It feels much more 90s. Even the fact that I think they said they brought in like five different effects studios to, to manage the workload. It's really weird because one of them did just all the nanite sequences. And the nanite mm. sequences like eating the Eiffel Tower look really good. Then yeah. there's sequences where there's planes, aircraft carriers, and flying past pyramids that look like <laughs> almost <laughs> as though a high school student had rendered them. And I'm just like, They're out of the mummy from 99. Exactly. I'm like, (laughs) Paramount, this is really what you're going to stand by. You weren't like, you know what? Let's just throw in an extra 50,000, $50 million, whatever it takes to really bring these visual effects up to par. Yeah. You know, the the big difference is for me. So there's, there's really two. One is in the overall aesthetic of the film. The first one feels much more, I guess, comic booky. The second one, retaliation feels much more grounded in realism. You can see that in the uh, actual weapons that they're doing. One is like nanites and they're green and the, the, you know, that's an off color, right? Pulse rifles and yeah. And then the second one's like, but more realistic. It feels, I guess a little bit more like, you know, uh, kind of like a James Bond weapon or something. When you actually see the sequence where they hit London, it was actually, I thought it was pretty good. It's night and day between the two. You know, when you watch, I don't know why they want to destroy all these European cities, but (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. When you watch retaliation too, there's much more of a practical, element in the sense that the explosions and things feel like they're really happening. Whereas 
again, when you compare the ambush sequence to Rise of Cobra, when Baroness shows up to steal the, the yeah. warheads, to the sequence where the military shows up to wipe out the Joes, night and day, one of them looks like a blockbuster film in retaliation. The other one leaves yeah. you really wanting more. That's also the second thing I was going to say is it's reflected in the kind of fighting styles. In Rise of Cobra, it's kind of flashy and they're like, you know, doing all kinds of like exaggerated attacks. They're just, you know, doing like they have the Duke and Ripcord in the, the metal suits. Chasing down the, the truck or whatever. Yeah, they're, everything feels a little bit more exaggerated where when you look at retaliation, the fighting style feels much more brute force. Like these are two people actually fighting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess in the in the first one, it just felt a little bit more like they're trying to go for that like superhero vibe. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know how well it's playing off because they keep trying to like enhance these people to make them do extraordinary things where I'm like the thing with G.I. Joe, realize what you got. It's not these superheroes. They're like they're real soldiers that have certain skill sets. I like to see that explored a little bit more. And I feel like retaliation does that better. I would agree. And you could feel it. You could feel it. But yeah, in terms of effects, the biggest standout to me was just the color, almost the color grading. One of them felt, again, like they're using vibrant colors and they're, you know, let's make sure that if something's going to blow up, it's like green and it has these comic booky kind of flashpoints where the other one felt like they're using like a military palette. They're actually kind of starting to embrace the type of story that it should be. And I felt like Retaliation does that slightly better. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about is the music. Again, we've talked about this in the past that the movie doesn't leave you with a theme in your head where you're like humming it. You know, they kind of almost embrace this like rock action type. I think that was Retaliation. And the first one felt more, I guess, like, I don't know, lame. (laughs) <laughs> there's not much there it's just yeah, like me- yeah. music to put over your action sequences i was like it's not memorable and i felt like again when you have gi joe it's not that you need a character theme you need that overarching kind of avengers theme like maybe when the joes assemble at the end and i know i had used that word probably shouldn't have stealing it right from the avengers but i mean it's ironic because both movies actually have that team assembled visual moment where, yeah. where all the Joes that we're following all get together and they walk towards the camera and we're like, cool, they're about to go kick some ass. And you're right. That's the moment where you need the theme and they don't have it. And I think what's really criminal about it is, I mean, you were singing it earlier. There is a GI Joe theme that yeah. we already know and relate to the GI Joes. Why not? update that change that build that into a more of a score that we'd walk out of the theaters humming to ourselves it it, it just feels lacking it feels like you know what i don't know who they got to score it or what their intentions were but again it's like paramount shell out the money and go get the guy who's going to create you a theme song like do it the movie needs it the team needs it so that when those moments hit we're all like oh yes Like, I even remember there was a scene in, and it's weird, in the Harry Potter series, where they actually get away from the traditional kind of Harry Potter music that was so iconic in the first couple films, and they abandon it. But in the last movie, when Harry and them 
come into the Gryffindor common room, they play it. And I remember the audience reaction was like breathing, <laughs> like life, like all of a sudden you could feel the magic. People, you know, they just got like tingly feeling you get when theme music comes on and everybody's yeah. like, yes, we kind of cheered like they did in the common room that Harry was there. We're like, oh my God, here we go. The G.I. Joe, I mean, in order to really reach that, if they're if they're going to try to compete with the MCU and some of these other movies, because I think that's their target audience, yeah? Probably the same nerdy comic book fans that want to see them. You're shelling out the same type of things, these sort of action films with a sci-fi fantasy element. I would think it's the exact same audience between the two. Yeah. You know, as far as like, so if we get into the story now, we've seen really intriguing war movies or missions and things like that, you know, even to the extent that, you know, a movie like James Bond or Mission Impossible, we're following kind of like a super spy. But, you know, I mean, you could you could mm -hmm. take elements of those movies and, and apply it to a team. Mission Impossible basically shifts the entire franchise to do that later, even though they're not like tech, quote unquote, like military. Yeah, I could I could see really kind of getting into bracing that very realistic type action yet you also have these kind of like james bond crazy villains and because you know james bond is they're always known for their villains retaliation does that a little bit better right we have this master of disguise in zartan who is impersonating the president you know they bring in a couple other characters with a little eccentric qualities you still have cobra commander and storm shadow but more importantly i think the major story beat that they or approach that they take in retaliation is we're going to scale it down. It's just a group of five Joes against the world. They can't even trust their own government, which I think sets itself up much better because then you're like, okay, it's just these this small group of people trying to do the impossible. Where the first one, it's this secret multi-government agency versus this secret shadow agency with bases under the polar ice caps. And it just feels so big, you don't really believe it in any way. Yeah, I could see that. And the thing too is like, they go, they go to great lengths both times to have their villains essentially want to destroy cities to just show how powerful they are so they can take over the world. <laughs> I mean, I kind of felt that to be somewhat of a weak villain story. I did, however, find Cobra Commander in retaliation to be much more intimidating as a villain. I would agree. Uh, I definitely felt his presence when he was on screen. So however they were however they could kind of keep that going would be interesting. I, I found their motives, you know, for the whole movie to be lacking, like even in retaliation, which it's set up at the end of Rise of Cobra, but essentially they're like, oh, you kidnapped and impersonating the president of the United States. I'm like, that's not very believable. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Yeah, I guess. It's like, you have to just take that as like, that could happen. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think that would happen. <laughs> no, you, like, you're right. They so, go so big in these movies that it almost, it, it kind of shifts it out of its element. Yeah. And I think too, one of the standouts was not that the characters were needed to make the story engine go. The lack of continuity between Rise of Cobra and Retaliation, I feel like hurt Retaliation here. You know, the absence of Hawk, of Scarlet, of Ripcord, some of these characters who we'd been invested in in the first movie, the kind of tossing aside of Duke. Mm -hmm. You know, the only two really standouts who are the same people are Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. Even Cobra Commander was recast. Yeah. I mean, Zartan is, he's Not even. They, they like a couple glimpses yeah. of his face, but I mean, they really recast him. The lack of continuity, just like you said, it, it makes it feel like a soft reboot. Because of that, 
I feel like the movie suffers because we don't really get where it's going anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, even if the first movie wasn't that great, you know, they're introducing these characters for us to kind of get invested in. And it's like the Baroness is gone. You know, even though Destro is mentioned, he's like in a hyperbolic chamber or whatever. Yeah. I think the the continuity really kind of ruined it because instead of trying to figure out how to solve those characters and get us to G.I. Joe Prime, they were like, let's just get rid of all of them and we'll introduce some new Joes and see if that works better. And I was like, yeah, but it doesn't feel like a shared universe anymore. It doesn't feel like a sh- you're building to anything. I would agree. I would agree. And I think that really hurt retaliation because at the very least, like you said, in the first one, we get the sense that they're trying to lay the groundwork for this bigger Mm -hmm. shared universe. And it felt like maybe upon the sequel, they can get the characters right. Maybe they can introduce some more unique internal conflicts and conflicts for the characters. Because I like even Duke in Rise of Cobra, you know, one of the things that kind of bothered his his character was basically like, oh, I was in love with like the Baroness and he just can't figure out <laughs> how to yeah. like, do this. And you know me, I have talked about this even in the MCU. They've done this multiple times now, even with the new Black Widow film. I'm not a huge fan of like mind control or like in this case, like nano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How essentially like, no one has none of the Cobra people have any free will in Rise of Cobra. They're all yeah, like, slaves. I hate that. Because it, it takes out the internal conflict. Because when you find out like, oh, the Baroness is just being controlled by her brother who we thought is dead, but is actually about to become one of the strongest people in the world, which I don't know why. Yeah. It, 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 to me, it undermines it. Like here she is having these conversations with Duke and alluding to certain things early in the film. And I'm like, well, then just throw all those out. If that's not what you really believe, then yeah. what the hell? No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Two other story elements that that bother me, and they're both in retaliation, which is ironic. I did not particularly like Storm Shadow's change of sides. Now, I again, I did a little character research, and I know that he Storm does it Shadow, a few times. Yeah, I know his character is known for that. So, if you were a fan of the canon, you might have appreciated it. I didn't feel like the movie set it up properly, though. There's nothing through the first movie and half of Retaliation that would make me think that he's secretly trying to destroy Co- Cobra from within. Just, I did not get that vibe at all. I felt that turn felt a little bit unrealistic. Like they just wanted another strong character and Storm Shadow was one of everybody's favorite. So to make sure he's like, you know, one of the core hero guys, I just, I didn't care for it. I didn't care. They did a little retcon with Zartan and his origin story. Wasn't a fan. So I don't know. What about you? Did you like that? I mean, again, it's kind of, as you said, in some ways they were hamstringed with one of the only consistent characters from both films portrayed by the same actor. You kind of need to pull him in, especially since one of the things I think that they really embraced in The Rise of Cobra, and you talked a little bit about this, all these characters who are doing cool stuff, right? Cool stuff. Doing physical hand-to-hand combat, combat with weapons, which is kind of something that's a bigger part of the G.I. Joe comic books and the cartoons. It was never yeah. about just shooting people up. It's it's always much more these people that are actually fighting with, with skilled combat and knowing martial arts. The decision to I bring Storm Shadow over allowed them to embrace that a lot. Than just yeah, having that- Snake Eyes versus Storm Shadow again i know and they almost set it up to be that way and they turn it Mm -hmm. and i kind of like that because again yeah it's like i don't know the irony is like snake eyes and storm shadow have like this great comic book history i'm sure it gets Mm -hmm. explored in snake Mm -hmm. eyes i I wasn't a fan of the the story technique having him he just 
you know, like his sword gets broken and he's like, surprise. <laughs> it, it wasn't, wasn't me. me. I it told you all me that yeah. did it. What? Yeah. Like everything about your character totally suggests that you did do that. And then mm-hmm. you went and joined Cobra. Like I, it's just, <laughs> you're telling me that someone framed you that long ago and they don't even have a motive in the film for why Zartan would even do that. <laughs> like it doesn't even make sense, but apparently he did it. And then you spent your entire life infiltrating this secret organization that actually only rose like one movie ago. <laughs> I don't know. It's just I, it, the whole Good thing point. to me Good was point. odd. I was like, I'm not, I'm just not feeling it. The other element of retaliation that I, I wasn't a huge fan of was the use of Bruce Willis. I love the introduction of the original Joe, but I feel like Bruce Willis was really just, let's just pay this guy to get a big name. And he just says like a couple of one-liners. He has like some witty dialogue. He really plays almost no role. He could have well, been anybody. The thing that blows me away is watching it. They're setting this up for the reveal that he is actually Lady J's father. Oh, yeah. Playing out like they have this history. He's this decorated military guy. She talks about how her father didn't approve of women soldiers. You're like, okay, cool. This is a really interesting opportunity for some characterization for her. And then all of a sudden, he's just like, nope, I worked with your dad. That's it. It was kind of a a missed opportunity, I felt. Doing some research, I know that originally he was actually supposed to portray Sergeant Slaughter, who's a very popular Joe. Oh, yeah. And there was in some licensing stuff, so they had to change it. I mean, Is that because of, like, WWE? I I think so. Okay. So I, I don't know what the decision there was. I think it's cool to kind of, again, try and bridge some of that earlier Joe history, which if we have a property going back to the 60s like i think it's a great idea but again i'm with you it didn't execute in the way that it, it could have he just felt lame duck to me even the reveal like where he drops down you're like oh it's bruce willis it just felt anticlimactic i don't know they're promoting him if you look at the posters for retaliation you know he's kind of right there front and center i don't know he ended up being a background character pretty important to the story they just kind of go to him to be like can we just like use some of your expertise i guess right the Rock's character actually has the exact same reasoning. He Earlier in the movie, he's like, the only person that we can trust in the world is Snake Eyes. And then 20 minutes later, he's like, the only person we can trust in the world is one man, and it turns out to be Bruce Willis. So again, I'm like, listen, if there's only one person you can trust, then it needs to be only one person that you can trust. Yeah, I know, right? It just can't be these contradictions because they they really kind of weaken the overall story. Those elements, you know, even in retaliation, which I think is trying to better encapsulate the mood of a G.I. Joe film successfully, they still have all these things where I'm like, ah, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, we've talked through it. Verdict time. I think I... Which one do you think did it better? I think I'm going to have to go with Retaliation. It's more so that one seems to capture the mood I expect for a G.I. Joe film a little bit better. I think the action scenes were more grounded, but they were a little bit more intense for that reason. You know, watching the characters in the suits chase down a car in Paris, while as exciting as it was, the stakes felt really low to me. Mm -hmm. It was cool. I think the effects team, kudos... It didn't feel like they're wearing these suits. I was like, guys, they're going to bust through walls and do all this stuff. I don't know. It doesn't you, feel like you anything's bring up a at good stake. point. Because I think one of actually the coolest sequences in the original Rise of Cobra is the one where Snake Eyes walks past the sensors. Oh, yeah. And you're like, okay, this is exactly what it is. It's, it's Snake Eyes can do it not because of the technology that he has, because of who he is right? The stakes are clear. It's him using his skills and his physical abilities to overcome these obstacles in a way no one imagined. And I think it works really well. 
which did it better? I think I'm going to have to go with Retaliation. The, the cartoony, comic booky vibe of the first one kind of turned me off. But yeah, Retaliation has its downsides. Like I said, there's not this kind of continuity between the two that there should be. I feel like they had a chance to really take some of the elements that worked in the first one, some of the characters, and see if you could not reinvent them, but add the layers and dimension to really make them memorable and not just kind of like an action figure. Name. There's just something about the mood, the setting, the color palette. I like the introduction of The Rock, even though on that exact same, I didn't really care for the introduction of Bruce Willis. <laughs> but I think they got some things right that I felt were better suited to build off of, where the first one just felt, you know, even the introduction, like at the very beginning of the first G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra, he like shows how these nanobots work or whatever. And I was like, okay, so we're, this is not realistic. I would agree with you. I think Retaliation does it better. Again, it walks more of that Transformers line that I think is what the franchise should do. It's grounded in the realism, as you said. The weapons seem real. It seems like feats that these people could actually do without truly pushing the edge of, of the science fiction to it. Yeah. It feels like if there were Joes, they could execute this plan and this is what this would look like. I actually am a big supporter of the recast in most cases because I think it helps ground this in something and The Rock brought something much needed to the franchise. Unfortunately, the failure of The Rise of Cobra is in many ways the same failure of retaliation and it's kind of almost from a macro producer level someone who i don't think that they had a clear plan of what they were trying to do with a franchise and how to execute it and it shows you know obviously they didn't end up i think there was a desired sequel because they wanted the rock to take over the reins they rebooted it with snake eyes you could tell they just could never quite figure out what it was what it was they were trying to do and as fans we could sense it too that hey i mean it's hard especially when you have Marvel right there at that time, kind of rising through, blowing away fan expectations for what a franchise can be. And then here you have G.I. Joe, where it's like, guys, it just seems like this is like a mess right now. Mm -hmm. And we exactly. know how good it could be now. We've, you know, by the time you said retaliations in 2013, so we've already had Avengers, we're like, oh my gosh, you guys could do something really great. You're just not on that level. And so it shows. That's what happens too when someone else sets the bar so high. You look at Marvel and what they've done, even DC, as hard as they're trying not to replicate the MCU, but compete with those movies in that same space. They've had trouble with it because the bar has been set so high, those characters. And I think that's what G.I. Joe should recognize is they have great characters and if you want to create this kind of ongoing series of movies then really invest in those characters you don't have to give each one of them an individual movie maybe it should be like missions mm. what they should do is like send certain characters on missions and then eventually like they all kind of connect into one big oh yeah no that'd like, be cool action idea. film something to give it a little bit more weight and then that way you don't have every single character from all G.I. Joes in every movie because they can only, own, like, they can all only get so much screen time. That's another problem, right? There's a lot of characters here. So I would love to see a movie, not necessarily like Rise of Cobra, but I would love to see maybe an introduction to an overarching thing that introduces G.I. Joes Prime 
And then maybe they break out into like three different mission films where you kind of can puzzle piece these elements together and then they return. We'll get them a nice theme song. Paramount, <laughs> listen to this guy. He's got a plan. You know, and then they, they return for this kind of big epic showdown of some sort. It would be pretty cool. Awesome. And again, it's, it's such a cool property with such a great history. It's really expansive and it's kind of a shame that they have not been able to build this into what it could be on the big screen. Well, here's to hoping that they can get it right the third time around, you know? <laughs> if you guys need help, call me. <laughs> so, hey, that's our episode. You know, let us know your thoughts on Rise of Cobra, Retaliation, hell, Snake Eyes. What do you think about what they're doing wrong with the G.I. Joe universe? Let us know. We'd love to continue the conversation. You can find us at Film Comp Podcast, as Dustin says every week. You can also look for the show, Google us, filmmakerscompass.com. You can find us everywhere that you listen to your podcast. And please leave us a great review. We, you know, it always helps the show. So... We will be back next week. We'll have two new movies to uh, review. We hope you guys will be back with us. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.